Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. In this podcast, your host, Edmar Ferreira, will be joined by expert guests as they dive into the world of deep tech. We are telling the stories of the heroes who are taking real risks to give us a future of flying cars, virtual reality, robots, and space exploration. Enjoy the show. Today's guest is Julian Soros, co-founder and CTO at Flowly. He has a background in electrical engineering from Yale University, where he focused on systems and controls, as well as digital signal processing. Previously, Julian worked on Hyperloop One, on their Transpondics team doing control algorithm design and Monte Carlo system stability analysis. Welcome to the Deep Tech Show. Today I'm here with Julian, co-founder of Flowly. Julian, please take us to the future. Talk to us about how the future will look like when Flowly is amazingly successful. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ed. The future with Flowly, I think, is an exciting one. So Flowly, for people who don't know who are listening, um, is an app for chronic pain and anxiety management. We use virtual reality as well as biofeedback therapy to teach people to regulate their nervous system and manage symptoms around pain, anxiety, stress, sleep, you name it. We are direct consumer. Anyone can download us on the app store, subscribe. We'll send you a VR headset and a heart rate sensor. But we also have a parallel path going through clinical trials. We're actually trying to get FDA approval and then hopefully get insurance reimbursement. So the future down the road with Flowly, I would kind of separate it from general VR adoption as well. But I would like, you know, as a company, we're aiming that anyone who has a chronic illness, anyone with pain, anxiety, stress, Flowly will be kind of their go-to thing to at least try to help manage their symptoms. So, you know, I'd like to get to a place where it's so commonplace that, you know, maybe you're texting your friend group and, you know, oh, when are we meeting? And someone's saying, I'll be right there. I'm just doing a quick Flowly session or something like that. And with the app as it stands at the moment, I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg about what VR can do for people, what biofeedback can do for people, what, you know, big data analysis could do for people in terms of helping them manage their lives. So we're almost in uncharted territory, but I'm really excited for the way things are going to be in the future. So what's next for you guys? Now you have the app that's already working. And then what's the next step on that? Like, how do you see the next immediate step to get us to that future? Yeah, so we're in, I would consider, kind of product market fit finding mode. We went through Y Combinator last summer and we raised our seed round. And then we're really trying to, figure out, you know, how does our product align with the market? How does the market align with the product? And then show good growth to maybe go for a series A or, you know, ideally if things work out, we can skip that. But that's a conversation for my CEO. And right now it's all about honing in on the product, making sure that we're really addressing our users' needs. And we call all of our users heroes. So you might refer hear me refer to them as users or heroes interchangeably. But so we're in kind of this iteration mode where we're addressing issues with our onboarding funnel, our subscription funnel, retention, things like that. And we are then figuring out what are the features, what are the changes, what is the messaging, the marketing that can all help drive the growth and the engagement. And then on the marketing side, it's really about who are we targeting first? Something that I think is difficult for any deep tech company is education to the public about what you're doing. So virtual reality, biofeedback, pain management, anxiety management. These are all things that for a lot of people are, you know, new territory, especially combining and, them all. And the thing that I like to know in general, talking with deep tech startups, like what, when you are explaining to like, 
investors, potential customers, even new hires, your mom, anybody. What are the most common misconceptions people have about what you guys are doing? What are the common things that people don't understand, don't get it? What are the most common misconceptions about you? That's a great question. And I think depending on the person, the, the answer is different. For some people, they think we're making a, a game, let's say, like a VR game. Other people, you know, they don't really understand what biofeedback is. So they think we're, you know, taking someone's heart rate and that's that's it when really we're allowing people to see their heart rate, understand it and learn to control it over time. Some people think you need to have an Oculus headset or HTC Vive or something to do Flowleap when you don't. We use phone-based VR at the moment and I can get into that more later. But really, it's kind of it's a lot of people understand separate elements individually. And then there's maybe some confusion when you when you bring it all together. And it's a lot to, to educate people about. Got it. Got it. And when did you start the company and where the idea came from? Tell us a little bit about that early days. of the Yeah. Company. So, story. yeah, as a team, my two other co-founders, Celine, our CEO, and Nure, our chief creative officer, We've been working together since around 2017. So we actually had an initial VR film project that went to the Cannes Film Festival. Um, I went to CES and won an award there. And that initial VR how, project... How did, guys, how did you guys met? Like, how did Yeah. Guys... So Celine and I have known each other since first day of college. We went to Yale together and we were in the same dorm, residential college. And then Nare, our third co-founder, we met when we were starting our first VR project. So Celine asked all of her contacts at DreamWorks, where she used to work for their you know, top recommended 3D scenic designer. And Nure was at the top of their list. So we recruited her for that project. And afterwards, we you know, started exploring the potential of what we had built. And we started incorporating biosensors into our projects, things like that. And then Celine's family does biotech. They did pancreatic cancer research when she was growing up. So she was around a lot of pancreatic cancer patients in immense devastating pain. And so that's something that stuck with her. And so we found out VR has been studied separately for pain management for over 30 plus years. And then we realized biofeedback also, which we were kind of already doing, was also studied for pain management for decades as well. So we put those all together. We built out a prototype and initially it was big and bulky Oculus Rift hooked up to a gaming computer. We I built out our own sensors and we were doing heart rate, skin conductance, respiration. We we're using an off-the-shelf EEG sensor. People would go into the clinic, do their flowly sessions, and then you know leave and they would do it once to twice a week for a few months. We were doing case studies. And in that time we saw really crazy results. One person came in their first day in a wheelchair. 10 out of 10 on the pain scale for his pain. He had been in a wheelchair since he was 16 when he was shot and Actually, he wasn't in a wheelchair, but he was on opioids since he was 60. And now he was in his 60s and he left, his pain was at a zero. And he was he was shocked. We were shocked. We were like, whoa, this is very powerful stuff. And we worked with a handful of patients for a few how, months. And how how did how did you find those first patients? Like or those first patients to test it? Yeah. So as we were in the process of building out our prototype, we went to a uh, a conference called Pain Week in Las Vegas. And there there was tons of pain practitioners, uh, you know, people who run pain clinics, doctors, researchers, you name it. And we were just networking and we found a doctor who he's actually, I think, winning or had just won a Lifetime Achievement Award in 
pain management and he was, you know, bought into what we were doing immediately. So we worked with people at his clinic. We also reached out to biofeedback specialists in the LA area. And one of them worked at Good Samaritan Hospital. And so we worked with their pain department and they would send us patients that they thought would benefit from using Flowly. And that's how that started. And this is this was before or after YC? This was before. So the prototyping started in 2018, I believe. And then we took the results from that in 2019 and got a, a $1.2 million grant from the National Institute of Drug Abuse. So with the data we had from the case studies, and then we had buy-in too from University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, who was going to be our main site for clinical trials. So we got that grant. 2020, we released a consumer version of Flowly. So that's the app. And in our case studies, one thing that we found that was super important is accessibility. We realized people need to have this at home, needs to be in their pockets. They need to be able to afford it. They need to be able to use it. We send people Oculus Go headsets. And when you're in a lot of pain, it's hard to learn how to use a new user interface that's not very intuitive. They couldn't find the app in the Oculus library. So we realized it has to be a phone app. We can't rely on the adoption of VR technology overall. We can't force people to buy expensive hardware. So accessibility was really a driving factor for us. So we released the app in a beta version in 2020. And then 2021, we released it full with Y Combinator and Press and everything like that. Yeah. How it works today, work me through use case. Like suppose that I have like specific pain and how this would help me and how would be my use case in a, like a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So we drive most traffic to our website at the moment. So probably you would land on the Flowly website. There you're able to subscribe and we send you a VR headset and a heart rate sensor at no additional cost to your subscription. And then your hardware takes maybe three-ish, four-ish days to, to ship to you. And then you would unbox it, get into the app, do your first session. And from there, you plug in the heart rate sensor, clip to your ear, you slip your phone into the headset, and then you're ready to go. And then within a Flowly session, you're seeing your heart rate in a graph in front of you in real time. And there's a breathing guide that we calibrate to your individual resonant frequency breathing rate. And then there's voiceover. It's actually voiced by myself, but we teach you different relaxation techniques, different education around the nervous system, around pain, anxiety, sleep, stress, different therapeutic practices. And the idea is we want you to be doing it daily, four times a week. What do you see when you put like the VR goggles? What do you are seeing? Yeah, so we separate our content into what we call worlds. So within Flowly right now, I think we have around 20 different worlds. And every world is a unique environment that's created by our chief creative officer, Nuray. So one of our most popular ones is Wave World, where you're on a beach with aurora lights in the sky above you. And there's stars, it's at nighttime. And as you're breathing, as your nervous system is relaxing, and we're sensing that through the heart rate sensor, the aurora lights will get brighter constellations will form in the sky, particles will float through the air, different speeds, things like that. So we're creating this feedback loop for you and this reward system as well. So with the high stimulus environment in VR and then the the rewarded gamification, you're learning the biofeedback training faster than if you were just looking at a screen with 2D graphs and, and trying to learn to control your heart rate that way. Yeah, you have the, the advantage as well that since you are immersed in that, you have less distractions from the outside as well in doing the training. Yeah. So you're going to be most likely more 
focused in actually doing it. It's not like a thing that you can do while watching TV or doing other things. Like when you decide to do it, you are doing it. So you, you already have like a, for the design perspective, I think that the buy-in or the decision of doing it from the users already, like the commitment, I think the better word is like the commitment. Because when the user strap the thing on, he or she is committed to actually learning what he's supposed to or she's supposed to learn. It's an interesting side effect of using a, a VR thing like that. Interesting. And what's the business model? Like, how do, we, do you guys are thinking about expanding the business? Yeah, so right now it's a subscription. On the website, I believe right now it's at a kind of discounted $30 a month or 180-ish a year. And so that's mainly what we're driving right now is that consumer subscription model. We are working too potentially with clinicians where we're giving them access to the patient's data if the patient wants to use fully with their doctor, which many of our patients request or many of our users request to do. They say, hey, like, how can my doctor get access to my Flowly data? I want them to be able to track what I'm doing, give me feedback, things like that. So that's another strategy we're working on, both as a way of tying in the doctors and the, the patients together. And on the hardware side, like what were like the most challenges are combining? Like uh, you have like multiple components on your solution. Like you have the app, you have the sensor, you have the necessary to, to mount the, the VR part. Like what were the challenges you faced building a, a, a complex product like that? Because it's like interleaving parts that you have there. Yeah. So th that question for me has been the source of a lot, a lot of agony and a lot of, uh, a lot of rewards too. There's been some crucial moments in the development of the product and the business where it's kind of a moment of, is this possible? We're kind of needed to work out. And Celine, our CEO will tell me, you know, we just need to get it done. And I'll say, okay, like I'll figure it out. And um, so integrating the VR into the native iOS app was definitely a tricky thing. And, you know, still is a little finicky. So we use Unity to do our VR experiences. And There's some light support. And at the time, there was no native support from Unity for doing that. So we had to hack things together, embed the Unity engine in the app. And then we're also relying on other companies' VR SDKs. And I remember when iOS 14 came out, it completely deprecated the Google VR SDK. There was a new cardboard API or cardboard open source SDK that was in development still. It wasn't released yet. And so we were in this few week to month window where the old one stopped working. The new one wasn't ready yet. Jesus. So I had to, you know, connect with some people on GitHub, hack together a few things. And it's been kind of a, an ongoing, you know, battle with keeping up to date, making sure that all the different moving pieces are staying up to date with each other, with Apple as they're coming out with new iOS versions. So I think down the road, as the team gets bigger, as the company gets bigger, we can hopefully move away from more and more the reliance yeah. on other people. Yeah, it changed a lot. I think that they try I dabble a little bit in, in like VR development in 17, 18, around that era. And then yeah. from there to now, so many things changed and so many things that keep changing and changing and changing. And actually I stopped doing it because like you would be following a tutorial or a YouTube video of something and there was like a video for like three or four months ago and then you try to reproduce that tutorial and it didn't work simply didn't yeah. work because of some library was updated or some 
thing was different in the interface of Unity plugin or something like that was a hell. I think that it's still today is not that mature yet. I think that's changed a lot as well, right? You need to keep like a tab on a lot of different developments. But at the same time, it's kind of an advantage, right? Because you kind of learn, you and the team kind of learn to be resourceful, right? And, and, and learn on the go, basically. Like adapt to anything that they throw at you, which is which is good for a startup. Yeah, we are all, we're all first-time founders. And for me, my background is in electrical engineering, so not as much computer science and you know, building apps and things like that. And for me, the most rewarding thing about doing the startup is when I'm able to overcome those those big technical questions. And I mean, in that moment, proving to myself, proving to the team you know, that I can do it, that we can do it. We've overcome a, a lot. So it's kind of, it's what makes it all worth it, I would say. What do you guys think about regarding like the, the like collecting data and doing like studies? Do you guys think about publishing something like partnering with like doctors or scientists and publishing results about what you guys are doing? Yeah, definitely. So I mentioned that we had that $1.2 million grant from the National Institute of Drug Abuse. And that is, it's a two-phase grant where the first phase is for smaller, randomized, controlled clinical trials that are more like a feasibility proof of concept. And then the second uh, phase of the grant is for larger, pivotal trials that are hopefully give us the data to get FDA approval. And for us, making sure that everything's science-backed, that it's all validated is really important. So our, our first phase of clinical trials finished up earlier this year. And right now we're in the you know, crunching the numbers, writing the paper, getting it published mode. And then our next phase of trials will probably begin next year. So in the process, we've always said, okay, let's make sure that this actually works, that we are not you know, feeding snake oil to people. And so far, the results are, are very promising. Good. Like now, today you are focusing in anxiety and pain, correct? Are the two big areas you are you are focusing right now? Yeah. So, in what we do, the the heart rate variability biofeedback, it can really help pretty much anybody. You know, you can use it to help improve your focus, help improve your know, performance. We have a golf instructor who uses it for helping his students, you know, stay stay calm under yeah, pressure so- when they're golfing. But our primary focus has always been pain. And then pain and anxiety are so closely linked. It's really hard to have one and not the other often. So it helps with anxiety and and we market for that as well. How does correlate, like how the biofeedback and the the heart rate helps with the pain part? Like, do you know the mechanism or the biological mechanism there? Or we just know that it works? It's just like... (laughs) Like that's a lot of treatments. You you sure know that that we know a lot in biology that a lot of treatments they just work and we don't know how they work. Like a lot of drugs work like that. It's kind of crazy when you think about that. Like they're just like you do the treatment because it works and you have like statistic proving that it works, but the underlying science is still not figured out. It's pretty interesting. And what state this this biofeedback thing are right now? Yeah. So I think we definitely know some of the mechanisms that are affected, you know, even for VR, there's something called gate control theory, which is essentially VR consumes more of your attention than your, your pain or your anxiety. So in that moment, you're not even feeling your pain often. And so that's more of a distraction for acute symptoms, but it helps people focus on the biofeedback. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of our uh, heroes, they have tried 
meditation apps and they can't do them because they're focusing in on their body. They're feeling more pain, more stress, more anxiety. When you put on the VR headset, all of a sudden you have something external to focus on. But with the breathing, with the biofeedback, you're getting a lot of the, the therapeutic benefits. And then on the biofeedback side, there's definitely research done around resonant frequency breathing, which is one thing that we do, increasing your cardiac vagal tone, stimulating your vagus nerve. There's a lot of research done on that, and I'm not super exact on it. Um, I, my CEO, Selena, has written a lot of our scripts that relate to those specific things, so she'll be able to give, kind of give you the deep dive on it. But that's pretty much what I'll say for now. Pretty interesting. Where else do you think you you guys could go help with? Like, I have seen some early reports and papers about, like, fear treatment using VR, like things like, uh, I think it's exposure therapy, I think, like yeah. where you have like fear of snakes and then you get exposure to it a little bit and you increase the exposure. So this is one way of, of treating treatment, but more in general, like thinking about this whole thing about using VR, biofeedback and sensors to treat Uh, conditions or help with conditions like what what else do you think you can go to help considering this initial framework because probably there's other types of conditions and situations that having this combination of vr app and sensors could could lead to what what do you think about that yeah i, I think kind of as i mentioned earlier it's really right the tip of the iceberg and i think the power of the combination of both is very, very potent. There's been research done on PTSD therapy, even more traditional like CBT and VR exposure therapy, like you were mentioning. Those are all things that I think down the road we could get into more. I don't think it's really at the top of our mind because you know there's other people doing it or um, it's kind of separate from the focus that we have at the moment. But For us, the guiding light is always, you know, what do our heroes need? What do they want? And how can we best support them? So really, we're kind of doubling down on who's already using the app, on finding the people who we think will fit with it, and then what do we need to do to support them? And if down the road they're saying, okay, you know, we want more exposure therapy or something like that, I think that's something we'll, we'll explore at that point. But it, it doesn't make sense, I don't think, right now to kind of go for... for I think that you guys there. still have a lot a long road to with like just the pain and the, the anxiety part is pretty pretty big when you think of, of marketing <laughs> yeah, I think. but it's yeah one in three to, yeah it's always good to think about other uses of the same framework as well right it's as the founders it's inevitable that you end up thinking about like five ten years down the road what else yeah. can we be doing and and exploring right <laughs> Early on, even we were, you know, doing more film-based VR, and we had our sensors, and we we're thinking, how can we sense how someone's feeling? You know, maybe they're feeling sad. How could we make them happy? You know, how, how do we yeah. close that loop, and um, or yeah. how do we adjust the colors in this scene to get this certain reaction from somebody, or, or things like that? So, I think it's really powerful. I actually think that this is a, this is a challenge for. I I am technical myself. I have been coding since I was like 14 or something like that. I think it's a challenge in the sense that you are always, there's some like a back process in your mind, like a monkey in your mind that's always thinking about what can I do with this? What can I do with this tech? 
what else could I be doing? And you need to like tail it a little bit to not distract you from the current main goal and not go play a little bit with the new tech and new things. So it's, it's always tug of war for technical founders to not uh, be distracted too much. But as uh, at the same time, you need to keep looking at the future because new tech are appearing, it could help. So it's, it's an interesting thing that I have seen with technical founders. Yeah, I think there's a big... I was going to say there's a big difference between what you can do with your technology and what you should do with your technology or, you know, what's, what's important to do right now. And that's something I think for, you know, early stage companies staying focused on really what, what are the big things you need to do? That's, that's really crucial. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And more on the market side, what do you, do you think, uh, are, do you think about, um, uh, Go to market. What's the strategy you guys are thinking about pursuing for growth? Yeah, so we just brought on a new marketing team member um, who's joining our team, and I'm really excited to see kind of where we go with her. And we're exploring a lot of different channels. Earlier on, we were doing more word of mouth, but also running you know Facebook ads, Instagram ads, different paid social, and. I think we're kind of, we've paused on that more and we're exploring more, how do we do more community and social based things that aren't maybe even paid, maybe organic, maybe there's events, maybe there's conferences. And really, if we can create a growth engine from within the app where people want to be referring their friends, that's, that's very powerful as well. So I think we're, we're still in the early stages of really honing in on that strategy, but I'm excited to see where that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I think you guys could have a big community play as well. I think that it would make a lot of sense. I think that for a project like that, I, cu I could see a strong community forming around it, a really strong play of, of, of users in a community around the product. Because people nowadays talk a, a lot about communities, but not all products are have a strong, let's say, a strong community building potential, let's say like that. <laughs> Yeah, I think in in the in your case, it's pretty. I can see quite well that you guys could be able to build a strong community around that, because no, there is something about it involved a little bit with like a daily use and how and the impact you're gonna have in your life. So there's a lot of those people that can share. It's it's yeah, could be interesting to see. Heading towards the end, so I still have some questions. First, do you have any advice for someone starting a deep tech company or a complex company of multiple moving parts, hardware or biotech or things that are harder like you guys are doing? Yeah, I think one piece of advice is definitely being very clear about you know who you're serving with your technology. I think it's really easy to come up with really cool technology that can do crazy things, but sometimes there's not a need for it, or that there's already alternatives that work that people are using, then there's not really a problem that you're solving directly. So I think that's one, one big thing to, to always keep in mind and keep in the back of the head is like, who are the people you're actually helping and what do they need? Because I think that will guide you know, a lot of the business decisions, a lot of the product decisions and everything like that. That's the first piece of advice. And I think the second piece of advice is networking, finding other founders who you can talk to who can help you, give you advice, even if, especially if you're a first time founder, even connect you to investors potentially or things like that. That's really, I think, 
key is if you can build a, a community of other founders. And I think this podcast will probably help people with that as well. Do you have any book, movie, or TV show, a recommendation for us? Huh, that's a, a great question. I haven't watched a lot of movies or read a lot of books recently. I've just been mostly working. I did watch, um, let's see, last movie I watched was Princess Mononoke, the Studio Ghibli movie. Yeah. Very good. Loved it. Very pretty impactful. awesome one. Yeah. Yeah, it's really awesome one. Almost everything they do is really, it's really like. Yeah. Really and the, the reason why I actually, the reason why I watched that was because there was an exhibit in LA at the Academy of Motion Pictures Museum or something on Hayao Miyazaki. And um, I went to see it and my CEO told me to go see it. And so we were going to have the whole team see it even because a lot of what we do in Flowly is all world building. And you yeah. know, we're working on how do we build these worlds yeah, that can really, really touch people, yeah. their, their hearts and at their core. And so all of their work has been good kind of guiding light in terms of building worlds and, and having stories that run through them, things like that. Yeah, I tend to recommend a lot of the Ghibli studio things to people, even people who don't like animation, because it's, I would risk saying almost every frame is a painting. Like you can stop a single frame of, of a movie from the studio Ghibli and just stop and look at it. And you're going to see so many details from the, in every layer of it, a lot of care and details and painting every single scene. So it's, it's, it's amazing to see, Love to detail, love to, 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 to perfection and to get things right. So all of their movies have that strange quality that you can, cannot tell while you're watching it. But then after you stop and, and just look at what you're seeing, then you can notice how beautiful everything is and quite yeah. well done. So, yeah. Yeah, that relates to even building a company. So I mentioned that Celine worked at DreamWorks and a lot of what we do is similar to, you know, animation pipeline like maybe they have a DreamWorks or like maybe Studio Ghibli has where, you know, you have to lay things out in broad strokes, do it in, in low detail, but to get it quickly to iterate and everything like that. And then towards the end is where you're really going in, adding the the finishing details, making sure that people can see all the love and attention to detail and the, the effort put into the product. And I think that's really what helps take it over the line and turns a great experience into a, a magical experience. Yeah, great. And my last question, if you could send a message to everybody on earth, what it would be? Huh. <laughs> it's a big, uh, big open-ended question. Um, I think right now, like the impending doom in my head is around climate change. And I'm in the, the camp of really, it's not on the individuals. It's really on the, the mega corporations to the governments to, to handle that. So I'm hoping someone from those corporations or something's listening can cut their, their carbon emissions and invest in renewable energy that's actually sustainable and is not, you know, requiring coal to build solar panels or something like that. So that's a, okay. that's the message. Great. It was a really big pleasure talking to you. What I love about this podcast and I always talking to smart people. It's always fun. <laughs> that's good yeah, you got a great job right now yeah thank you so much man for this i hope that in the future we can do a second part in a year or so to chronicle how you guys are doing and, and evolving with the product thank you very much yeah for sure thanks for having me ed it was a pleasure thanks for listening to the deep tech show if you enjoyed today's episode don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on upcoming episodes follow the podcast on twitter at Deep Tech Daily to keep updated on what's next.